welcome to Crystal Myth Podcast. I don't know why I always start it off like that. I really should stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I feel like I'm starting to do like, you know, hi, I'm Ed Winchester kind of thing. Like, why am I putting on that accent? I don't know why I do it. Just like maybe because I've, I've, I've grown up thinking that that's how presenters should be when it's not really, is it? <laughs> When you said Ed Winchester in my yeah. head, I thought like the old what are the old couple called that are dead now that hunt ghosts? Oh, the Warrens who I don't like. Yeah, Ed, I went Ed, Ed, Ed Warren, Warren in my head, and I went Hi, to go I'm like, Ed Warren. and I'm Mrs. Warren, and then realised that made no sense because I clearly wasn't who you were talking about. We're but no, either way, I'm Mrs. Warren. We're no longer Crystal Whiff podcast. We are the um, possessed hosts. <laughs> We're the Winchester Warren matchup that everyone's been yeah, waiting for. Yeah, we're, we're the host possessed by Ed and Lorraine Warren. I being Ed and you being Lorraine, even I though mean, I'm a woman and you <laughs> I'm much more of an old lady than you are. <laughs> if either of us was a dead old lady, it would be yeah, me. Yeah, definitely. You would be the old lady and I would be Big Ed. Big Ed. Big Ed. <laughs> I don't even know if he was a big man. Yeah, or if his nickname was Big Ed. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we both agreed it was, so it is now. Well, speaking of Big Eds and big things, we're talking about this week, we're talking about kaijus, which, kaiju. in, which in Japanese is literally a translation that means strange beasts. Yeah. I always thought not, it meant massive things. I thought it meant giant animal. So yeah. did you also find the translation that was, uh, quite rightly, because people are allowed to correct you on your own language, but clearly from a Japanese person that said many people are misinformed and wrongly under the impression that kaiju means giant animal. And I was like, OK. Well, no. I, that is me. I am that misinformed person. Well, yeah, I am as well. But technically, then there's the, also there's another term, not just kaiju, but I think I feel like I relate to these people, kaijin, which means weird person. <laughs> oh, I didn't find that, but yeah. I, well, I, I suppose we're definitely kaijin. We would be gaijin to Japanese people, as in foreigner or stranger. That's what gaijin means. I always just thought it meant white person, but gaijin means strange pair well i guess no guy strange air yeah Yeah. Hmm. because obviously there's not a lot of i'm not saying completely homogenous but it's pretty quite homogenous in japan there's a lot of them (laughs) so i know they have a lot of tourists but you're you still stick out as a foreigner obviously over there and people don't want to sit next to you on the train if you're a strange person that's not Japanese. But then that's not always true. I guess, like, I have heard tales tales of, like, if you sit at restaurants and things, you'll get, like, Japanese businessmen that will talk talk away to you, even though they don't understand very good English and offer to pay for your meal. Although you don't, you no idea that that's what they were discussing, things like that. Or you could be sat at a bar and talking to one of the Yakuza, but you'd have no idea. And they would, like, pay for your drinks all night and you'd have a great time. If a Japanese man came and chatted to me in broken English mm. and then um, offered to pay for my meal, I would assume I would just assume they thought I was a sex worker. <laughs> would you give it up for what it would you what like? like. <laughs> You'd turn around and take your trousers down and say here. <laughs> in the middle of the restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> right, we all know where this is going. Oh. Right. Let's just get it over with. 
Right, so kaiju, kaiju don't <laughs> actually exist. Kaiju. What as well? I mean, what do you think is the sexiest kaiju? Uh, Mothra? Do you like moths? Do you like moths? <laughs> do you like like moths? Well, like like she is my favourite kaiju, but I'd say... Uh, Kingdora's got three heads. She's Could probably one of the least sexy ones. She's very... Um, oh. not my type, is she? Well, I'd like to rub her velvet wings. <laughs> yeah, you would, but she's... <laughs> She's all like femme. She's like all femme and moon goddessy. That's ex- all right. Yeah. That's exactly one of your types. You have multiple yeah. types, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would go with Mothra. Even though I hate moths, she's cool. I actually hate moths in real life. Like little moths, I hate big moths. I love big moths. I feel like my brain's going like Mecha Godzilla, and I don't know why Mecha Godzilla would be my like choice of. Like hard and metal though. Like, would you not prefer the original Godzilla? I think Godzilla's quite sexy. I like his uh, spines and I like his atomic breath. And I do like his atomic breath. He's kind of a bad boy, but he's also an ally as well. But he doesn't give a shit. He's a bit like God in that world. Like, he is called Godzilla. Like, he's no, he's got no problem killing people. He doesn't eat them, but he'll also protect people as well from other monsters. But he doesn't care if some of them get killed along the way in the process. But yeah, I suppose you're right. Maybe he is sexy. I quite like that he's like, mm. like technically bad, but also an environmentalist. And he'll fight over monsters. He's like, now I don't really care, but I suppose, yeah, if I think when I was like 20, if there was an actual guy that was like, I just blew up that factory for environmental reasons, I'd be like, ooh, buy me a drink. So, yeah, I suppose <laughs> God, that's my And think that he could pick you up and carry you about like his little pet. Or you could ride on Spain. But now that you've said that, the answer's King Kong, a big ape-like beast. Oh, you like that kind of thing, do you? <laughs> <laughs> you want basically to be just a rugby player. You basically just want to be fairy and have King Kong uh, like peel off your clothes and snap yeah. you and stuff. <laughs> okay. I always hated that bit in the film. I felt so bad when he was climbing the Empire State Building. You know, the original King Kong from 1933, yes. the best one. And he's climbing the Empire State Building and he thinks he's found Andaro. It's just this lady in her room, chilling. And then he puts his hand through, he grabs her and she's screaming. And he looks at her and realises that, oh, that's not her. And then he just casually throws her away. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that typical of a man anyway? Just... Yes. Right, back to the... Very standard mask behaviour. <laughs> yeah. So there's not really any... Well, I do have a list of possible real kaijus, but obviously there aren't any real kaijus or we'd be all fucked, wouldn't we? Like the the whole how tall are kaijus generally? Some of them are quite small, but they're usually about the size of a skyscraper at least. Or at least the original game God Godzilla was tall enough to peek over the tallest buildings in Tokyo at the time in the 50s, but he's grown a lot taller since then, since buildings are now taller. Yeah, because not originally <clears throat> so there's like mythology that some kaijus are based on that i managed to find and i will come back right. to that. but in oh. the descriptions of like the mythological basis for kaijus like those creatures were said to be like about the size of two to four elephants so i might actually well, have to build them up quite a lot i mean kaijus would did roam the earth they were called dinosaurs true fair but technically they're not really kaijus if people weren't around to run from them and they weren't rampaging through buildings and things and they don't really have to... by the definition of it being a strange creature then it's a cryptid yeah so we're just doing japanese cryptids <laughs> not really i've specifically only I'm arguing with you. 
So when I was reading about what kaijus were, and then I was looking if yeah. there was any inspiration for any of them, and the thing I was looking at was saying that um, there are like several sort of famous kaijus that were inspired mm. by Shinto myths. Oh, okay. But it's all Shinto myths about like exceptionally large Beautiful. versions of creatures we're used to, or things that are similar to creatures we're used to. So it's not okay. like a sort of like a completely original idea. I want to say, but that doesn't make any sense because it is a bit. Yeah, like, when we first came up with them, it was a very original idea, but. There's like partial basis in mythology. All kaijus are based on some sort of creature, mythological Yeah, true. Creature, I mean, I'm saying real. that like, easy for um, small people to describe because, like, as you know, the myth child is obsessed with kaijus. And, is he? I oh, yeah, know he that. Kaijus. Yeah, like one of his favourite things. Yeah, does he, well, what, how does he get any kaijus? He loves, is he, is he seen like, proper old. Rib? Yeah, no, no, he likes, like, old Godzilla films. Oh, re- really? Yeah. Where is he watching that on YouTube or something? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. What a cool wee myth child. Indeed. <laughs> I didn't get to watch those kind of films when I was wee. Although I do have a horrible memory of them. Um, and why the hell was this on during the day when kids could see it? Me and my sister turned on Channel 4 once. And I must have been about eight. And uh, it was some sort of Hindu program <laughs> where a man got ripped in half by some sort of Indian demon guy. Lovely. But then he came back together and then he ripped him in half again. Well, that's just rude. I know. <laughs> I genuinely was horrified. Yeah, they don't really play. There should be a channel where you can watch old kaiju, like Toho films. Yeah. I've seen the original Godzilla film, which I think is really good for, for the time it was made. But then they changed them gradually into some sort of like anime superhero type, like more kid friendly because they gave them like kinder looking eyes and things like that they made them look less ferocious and more cartoonish well the original um godzilla which i know you've looked into the kind of other side of the inspiration behind it he he wasn't based on a one of these shinto ideas but basically it was like the shinto myths about divine forces of nature that are that like are then physically embodied so they're like the embodiments of abstract ideas emotions or nature and that's kind of partially where the idea of Godzilla came from because what is Shinto though is it is it did he worship gods or is it a more a philosophical religion because I always thought Japanese people weren't very they didn't worship idols so to speak it was more spirit Shinto is the actual like native religion of Japan because Buddhism arrived there like quite early in Japanese Mm -hmm. history Buddhism Mm -hmm. spread all through Japan so there are loads of people that follow a kind of like buddhist inspired version of shinto which is very like what myths sorry what like philosophy can you take from the myths but the actual original religion was like there are they weren't gods they're like divine beings but they are really big animals that like there might be like a really big animal that is sadness or a really big animal that is rain i like that that's interesting but then that was what the article I was reading was saying, well, that's kind of partially where the early inspiration for Godzilla came from, because oh. Godzilla is nuclear. Nuclear fallout. Nuclear holocaust, yeah. nuclear fallout, nuclear waste, nuclear contamination. But it's like, again, they're just like very big animals that are something. So it was almost like awesome. Godzilla is a big iguana that is nuclear fallout. Except he is described as an ancient prehistoric lizard amphibian that was awakened by the atomic bombs and he gained more power because he survived an atomic bomb blast 
which relates to the the um, true story that I was I was I was going to mention. Uh, but no, get, let's look more into the mythical side of things, Mark, that you've researched, and then I will get into the more modern version. That's cool. Well, that'll kind of look back round to Godzilla anyway, because I think he's obviously the most famous kaiju. But because mm. it, because I was looking at the myth stuff and it was saying, well, Godzilla isn't really based on any of the myths. So so yeah, we'll look back round. I mean, um, technically, King Kong came before Godzilla, and he's a massive kaiju, but he wasn't called a kaiju, obviously. But that was inspiration for Godzilla as well, because the Japanese seen old movies of well, I mean, they've got they've got their dragons, but they've seen things like King Kong that came over from America. And twenty thousand leagues under the sea, there was like big dinosaurs and that, so that influenced them as well, as well. And maybe they mixed that a bit with the mythology you're going to talk about, and. Don't forget our old friend H.B. Lovecraft. Yes, I think like the was it something that Guillermo del Toro wanted to do? Where there was giant monsters that or giant creatures at the bottom of these mountains or something called. Maybe I can't remember. You're more of a H.B. Lovecraft expert than me. I can't think, and I think I should know because you're right. I'm a big Lovecraft fan. I do just like big weird things, so I suppose that's why I like kaiju's. And then when I was looking at this stuff, I was like, okay, because to be honest, I didn't really know. Like, it's not like a dead religion, but because again, because Shintoism was kind of overtaken by Buddhism so early in Japanese culture, even though it was so widespread beforehand, like I didn't really look at it in uni or anything because it's not, it's not a widespread religion, but. When I was, well, I ended up looking at the myth stuff because when I started looking at Mothra, who's my favourite kaiju, it was talking about how she was partially inspired by one of these. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. But the article I was reading, which was a Japanese article translated into English, but it was talking about mm-hmm. how lots of people in the West don't realise that, like, much like loads of our story archetypes come from ancient Greek myth, like pretty much all of like Marvel and DC comics effectively is a modernised version of ancient Greek myth. Like quite a lot of um, pop culture media stuff in Japan comes out of like ancient Shinto myth. Yeah, because these stories are so different and interesting. So Mothra is a good example. So actual Mothra, movie Mothra, who we love. Um, so she first appeared in her 1961 self-titled film Mothra. Although obviously she's appeared with Godzilla a lot. She's I think she's been in the second most films out of all the like recognized major kaijus was she in the modern godzilla the american hollywood godzilla films she was in one of the more recent ones Mm, yeah i think she was the one after the one where he has to fight mecha godzilla right and king Ghidorah. i think he was he was was, yeah i can't remember the title of it right okay so she varies in her appearance sometimes in the film she appears as a caterpillar sometimes as a silk moth and sometimes as an amago which is like a What's that? japanese insect that to be fair i'd never seen before looking at it saying she appears as a an imago it's almost like a butterfly but instead of having butterfly wings it's got almost like try like thick like squat triangular dragonfly hey. wings sorry you just said the way you said thick <laughs> like thick. she's really thick she's got, she got thick thighs she's <laughs> Uh, she's often in her films accompanied by two tiny fairies who can speak on her behalf, which... Oh, yeah, that's right. Cool. Didn't they do that in, like, South Park? Uh, or did they? But anyhow, yeah, I remember that. That's a weird thing. She's got tiny fairies. <laughs> and she has died several times in the films, and every time she's died in the films, it's like a common Mothra trope that she lays two eggs when she dies. And then out of one egg hatches Mothra herself, but she's now back to being a caterpillar. And then out of the other egg 
uh, Hatch is a different looking same sort of creature that she is and sometimes it's male and sometimes it's female but it never looks exactly like her and is that her child or is it just like a clone of her that's different what yeah the one of the uh, like so they're twins but one of the eggs is her and the other egg is her child so it's almost like her child and her brother but again, when we get to the Shinto mythology, that then makes more sense because that is a weird thing to keep repeating. But it's that is weird. Shinto mythology, and obviously sometimes the male egg turns into um, <laughs> Robert Smith. <laughs> From the cure. Which explains the side part. <laughs> <laughs> and she's different from quite a lot of the other kaiju in that she much like godzilla is sometimes she's nearly always which again ties into the shinto myth she's nearly always heroic and she protects either her island that she lives on where like her worshippers live or the whole of japan or the whole of the earth depending on the film so she's a top gal yeah, she is. i read that she's worshipped by uh, an island of women yes so a lot of the kaijus have their own territories that they like to protect i guess uh, like king kong protects skull islands and He's not really part of the Jap. Well, maybe he is part of the Japanese kaiju monster verse because he did bite Godzilla in one of the movies. So yeah, like I, I think guess maybe he adopted he him. Now <laughs> he gets to be part of it now. Yeah, and he gave yeah, him so- a sad backstory that he had a family and everything, and they got killed, and he's the only one left. He's Aww. like, yeah. <laughs> Godzilla, not Godzilla, King Kong. All of them. Not all of them. No, that's true. Some of them are very vicious. Yeah. But again, that's <laughs> the. Uh, Shinto thing. So yeah, Mothra is a not she is a because that's not stated in the films, but basically she's a Shin Shinchua. Shinchua. That's right. That's what it says, Leslie. I just uh, <laughs> was thrown by my own trying to read there. She's a Shinchua. So a Shinchua is again because they are these divine beings are like the embodiment of abstract ideas. So a Shinchua is the power of the moon. Oh, else was it? Yeah, moths so do tend to flock around light. Yeah, it makes sense. Like moths like light, moths like the moon. They are so they're like feminine energy. They are the tides. They're the things that are connected to the moon. I really enjoyed. Like again, I didn't know that much about Shintoism, so I quite enjoyed researching this because I was like, I like that as an idea. Like, no, we don't have gods, but like. Mm-hmm. We have the physical embodiment of all the things that the moon does. So there's not just a Shinchua, like there's Mothra and her sisters and occasional brothers. They are about twice the size of an elephant, which is big but small for one of these creatures. That is Uh, quite small, actually, in terms of kaijus. And they are basically, they're huge silkworm moths with stingers. Oh, so you can make a nice dress out of it. You could. So Shinchua never attack humans. They love humans, especially Mm. women, because feminine energy. But they feed on demons, evil spirits and evil forces. Uh, They especially enjoy devouring the embodiments of disease and epidemics so whenever there's like a massive outbreak of disease where the or, fuck was Wafra during the covid pandemic maybe the reason <laughs> it has nothing to do with the vaccinations it got less severe because uh Wafra yeah. <laughs> ate it so yeah the basically the shinchua swarm these things so in ancient shinto belief there would always be this idea that like if there was a massive outbreak of a disease or an epidemic then you would like show worship to the Shinchua and then they would the epidemic would become severe enough that it would have its own embodiment so it would take on some sort of giant animal form and then the Shinchua could like swarm on it and eat it and then it wouldn't exist anymore that's brilliant 
I love that idea. I wish it was real. Well, I mean, I suppose if you're a Shinto worshiper, it is real for you. Unless it is all metaphorical. I don't know if it's meant to be metaphorical or not. I think it's like <laughs> a lot of um, the really ancient religions that have been mm. like squashed by other religions where I think originally it wasn't supposed to be metaphorical, but I suppose now probably most worshippers would say it is. Yeah, I mean, Shintoism today in Japan is purely symbolic they're most of the Jap- Japanese people are atheists, but they still, because they love their tradition and rituals, they they still perform Shinto rituals and fast, and they still have their Shinto Shinto priests and things. But it's not taken seriously like the Catholics take there. <laughs> Or the Muslims take their religion seriously, if you know what I mean. They're not going to murder people over it. A ceremony of the Shinchu, I think it would be quite cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's one of my dreams. I'd love to go to Japan one day. One day I might. It would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they also, so they've got, Shinto has the same sort of idea of Hinduism, of samsara. So you're in like a continuous cycle of birth, death and rebirth. And Mm -hmm. so when the Shinchu, when the Shinchu, uh, when a Shinchu is dying, uh, so same as the Mothra thing, like it lays eggs, and out of one of the eggs, it, it hatches itself, oh, and then out of the I... other egg, it hatches its own sibling. So that's why that's part of the Mothra mythos, because yeah, wouldn't that be so cool if, like, when you die, you lay an egg and then you birth yourself out of it? I love that yes. idea. <laughs> and then just keep going, like yeah. It's like when you die, a massive egg just pops out your arse, and that's why death is painful. But you're inside that egg again, so like you're just a shell. And what in the process of dying, you're creating the egg. I'm thinking this far too much about that. But they also like don't mind, <laughs> like it's not that big a deal for them to swarm the like evil epidemics or diseases embodiments because if they kill it. It's fine because as they're dying, they'll lay an egg and then hatch out of the egg. So, like, they're immortal, but in a really interesting way. But are they vun- are they're most vulnerable at that point? Do they come out the egg fully formed as an adult or are they little larvae? No, they come out the egg as a little larva. So then aren't they in danger of being eaten or stamped on or crushed by other kaiju? But then I think things? even, and now I'm just making this up, but, <laughs> for a fact, but I kind of got the impression that if they were to be injured when they were larva, the larva would still just lay two eggs and it would hatch itself out of one of them. Right. So they're like, yeah, they're eternal beings. They're never not going to exist, which is pretty funky. I love that idea. So yeah, King Caesar is one of the other like well-known kaijus that, as mm. you say, was based on a Shinto myth. So King Caesar first appeared in a 1974 film as the... So it was one of those, uh, you know how there's that uh, sort of common theme in um, Godzilla films where when Godzilla's not being an arsehole it's like he accidentally destroys something and it all gets a bit out of hand and then so he's just him, being a big goober yeah and then him and the kaiju that didn't realise he was being a goober team up to defeat the actual goober oh okay <laughs> so basically King Caesar and Godzilla end up fighting because Godzilla accidentally destroys the part yeah, of the like, oops, just get on your village, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I tripped and fell. Exactly, he trips and falls into <laughs> the graveyard and destroys the Azumi graves. Mm. And the and King Caesar is the guardian of the Azumi royal family. Yeah. So then fights Godzilla, but then they end up teaming up to fight the real threat together. And Azumi is very clearly based on, if you Google him and see that he's basically a big green dog lion. The, yeah, it's a lion. Shisa and the Shisa, yeah, is the dog lion statue that you see outside of Japanese temples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Shisa statues are based on the Shinto belief of the Shisa, which is a again huge, about the size of four or five elephants, 
lion dog, they always travel in pairs and they can control rocks and boulders. So they're, what's that? Potato. What was that noise? Potatoes. They are potatoes. What's that? Terrakinetic. They can move the earth. Oh, you always have trouble with that term. Telekinesis. There we go. Yeah. Tetu <laughs> I've got a, a very specific a speech impediment just with that one word. But yeah, they yep. can move rocks and boulders and stuff like that with their mind. Again, you just said the word for it. And they protect... force. Yeah, they basically Star do force. have the force. Yep. And they protect and guard yep. families and graves from evils. Godzilla's arse. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, yeah, in the film, it's like, oh, it thinks Godzilla is an evil. Also, I think in the film, Godzilla destroys like the graveyard and one of the statues, which is then very sad because if they're always in a pair, I'm like, oh, no wonder it was fucked off with Godzilla and murdered its like life partner. (laughs) I can't believe Godzilla killed King Caesar's husband. He didn't mean it. He just, he did a wee tumble. (laughs) I'm sorry I rolled on your husband and now he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) It was an accident, I swear. (laughs) I did a whoops there. Oops. <laughs> That's how Godzilla talks. Clumsy old Godzilla. I've done it again. <laughs> he wears a smoking jacket. <laughs> smokes your roots. <laughs> Some um, statues in the Toho universe are uh, controlled by mad scientists, which is weird, isn't it? Like, they're not actually, like, bad. They're just trying to live their lives, and some of them are, like, there's a like a dinosaur one that's controlled by a scientist and a giant like snake-like creature that lives in the sea also controlled by humans or aliens actually one of them was controlled by aliens <laughs> sorry i'm just correct evil alien scientists though you're right there does seem to be a common yeah. like the mm-hmm. only reason these creatures would ever be bad is because bad yeah. scientists controlling them uh-huh. which again does make sense based on the shinto thing like there are again mm-hmm. like yeah covid19 would be a good example if you were to do like Godzilla being a modern take on the good ones, like COVID-19 would be. COVID-19 does sound like a kaiju. It does. COVID-19 versus Godzilla. And it works with the always having an evil scientist thing because they could be like, all the viruses up to COVID-18 and then the evil <laughs> scientist could be like, but this time my plan has come to fruition and then the monster could like burst out and he could be like, ha COVID-19. Is that your dubbed version of the film? That is exactly the dubbed version of the film. Also did like a little hand movement there that you missed, but I feel you would enjoy it. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it in my imagination. <laughs> I, I want to play the scientist. Yeah, I could see you playing the scientist. <laughs> I feel like Charlie Day and Pacific Rim. He's a mental scientist in that. Again, uh, uh, Pacific Rim's very much influenced by, well, they're called the monsters and it are called kaijus and they come from a rift in the Pacific, hence the name. And then they've got giant robots, which is also part of the kai, like there's Mecha, as you mentioned earlier, there's Mecha Godzilla. And then you get things like Transformers and uh, what's the Japanese one? Gundam Wing? Yes. And what are you zipping? Are you zipping up your gimps out there? Um, Yeah, I'm just getting ready for it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well godzilla was created he was inspired by like a metaphor for nuclear weapons which reflected the fears of japanese people post-war following the atomic bombings of is it hiroshima and nagasaki is that yes. how you pronounce it? i know a lot of people say hiroshima but that's not see now i'm confused japanese language is like hiroshima hiroshima i'm not sure which one's right either because one of them is 
what Americans call it, and one of them is the actual name of it. Yeah. I, I, my brain's not telling me which one's what. So Godzilla was created by Ishiro Honda, and he debuted in a 1954 film, and he was named... Well, there's various rumours about what why he was named Godzilla, because it sounds like a badass name for a kaiju, but someone said that it just means gorilla whale. Oh. And it was basically they were taking the piss out of one of their, like, the producer was, he named the monster after a sturdy Toho worker who was jokingly dubbed Gojira, which, again, I've said is gorilla whale. So they were making fun of a fat guy, basically. <laughs> and they named <laughs> but this adds up with an earlier point because I'm like I've not, not seen Gorilla Whale but I'm into him <laughs> he is described as a prehistoric reptilian monster and he was awakened and empowered after many years by nuclear radiation with the nuclear bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the Lucky Dragon 5 incident still fresh in Japanese consciousness have you heard of the Lucky Dragon 5 incident because I was no, like well that, just that's say, really peak interest the Lucky Dragon 5 incident is about the you know how like the Americans after like they bombed Japan mm-hmm. the um started testing more and more nuclear weapons out where was it the some islands so the lucky dragon five is the name of a japanese tuna fishing boat and it had a crew of 23 men and they were contaminated by nuclear fallout but they had no idea that it was nuclear fallout poor guys As a result of the United States Castle Bravo thermonuclear weapon test at Bikini Atoll, hence where the the term bikini came from, on March the 1st, 1954. So that's quite close to when the film came out. Yeah. Isn't that? That's really weird. Yeah. So the crew, this is really horrific, by the way. (laughs) I shouldn't really laugh. Right, the crew suffered acute radiation syndrome for a number of weeks after the Bravo test in March. All recovered from the immediate effects of the American test destination, except for Hubo Yama Aikichi, the boat's chief radio man, who died on September 23rd, 1954, from complications of radiation sickness. Isn't that like he's he's the chief radio man and he's yeah. the one that died of radiation sickness? <laughs> Immediately after it, uh, Kobayama is considered the first victim of the hydrogen bomb and the test shot Castle Bravo. So it's the first hydrogen bomb. I think they released it. They were testing it at uh, Bikini Atoll. And if you've seen the Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer was like te- like horrified at what he'd created. And he was basically his security clearance got taken away by the American government, who he helped bomb the Japanese with because he was against developing hydrogen bombs. Which is one of his colleagues said that he could he could make it uh, because it was too powerful a weapon and he didn't want to cause mass destruction. Yeah. So that they basically discredited him and went ahead with the testing anyway. So built in March 1947 and, and launched from Koza Wakayama, the boat was originally named uh, the Dainana Kotoshiro Maru. I don't know what the translation is for that. It was a bonito boat and moored in Misaki Fishing Harbor, Kanagawa Prefecture. It was later remodeled into a tuna fishing boat. In 1953, it moved to Yaizu Port in Shizuoka Prefecture with a new name, the Lucky Dragon Number 5, or the Fifth Lucky Dragon, but it was far from lucky. 
as mm. you can probably tell. Not very lucky for the guys that were going out fishing. The lucky dragon number five took five ocean voyages, the last of which began on 22nd January 1954 and ended on the 14th of March of that year. The crew set off to go fishing in the Midway Sea near Midway Atoll, but when they lost most of their trawl nets to the sea, they altered their course southward near the Marshall Islands, and that's where the Americans were letting off hydrogen yeah. bombs. And that's what kind of, like, in the I think in the movies, it's sort of implied that that's what kickstarted Godzilla, like, woke Godzilla up was those bombs. Uh, because in the TV series that's out on Apple TV, Monarch, Monsters of, like, the Legacy of Monsters or something, you see them doing the test and Godzilla comes out and they're like, bomb it, bomb him, bomb him. <laughs> and the Japanese lady's like, no, don't kill him, blah, blah, blah. And they blow him up and she thinks he's dead, but actually just makes him more powerful. So they went off session, fishing there. They encountered a fallout from the Castle Bravo nuclear test on March. The Lucky Dragon number five encountered the fallout from the US Castle Bravo nuclear test at Bikini Atoll near the Marshall Islands on March the 1st, 1954. When the test was held, the fishing boat was catching fish, obviously, outside the danger zone that the US government had declared in advance. However, the test was more than twice as powerful as predicted and changes in weather patterns blew nuclear fallout in the form of fine ash outside the danger zone. So, they done fucked up. On mm-hmm. that day, the sky in the west lit up like a sunset. The Daigo Fukurumaru was not damaged by the shockwave from the blast. However, several hours later, white radioactive dust made up of radioactive particles of coral and sand fell upon the ship. The fishermen attempted to escape from the area, but they took almost six hours to retrieve fishing gear from the sea and process fish, mainly shark and tuna, caught on the lines, exposing themselves to the radioactive fallout. The fishermen scooped the highly radioactive dust into bags with their bare hands. One fisherman, Oishi Matashichi, reported that he took a lick of the dust that fell on his ship. Okay, just lick some random ash. That is insane, but only because we have context. Like, if you were like, this isn't snow, what is it? Like, (laughs) Mm, I think I'll eat it. But some people would do that, I suppose. Like, they don't know it's nuclear fallout. They didn't, they had no idea. The dust stuck to their bodies and the ship, entering their nasal passages and ears, irritating their eyes and collecting inside their underwear. (laughs) Radiation sickness symptoms appeared later that day. Due to this, the fisherman called the white ash Shino High. Death ash. The ash that fell upon the ship carried strontium, strontium, strontium 90, cesium-137, selenium-141 and uranium-237. During their return, the crew began showing symptoms of radiation poisoning as early as the evening after exposure. They experienced pain, headaches, nausea, dizziness and diarrhea. Their eyes began to turn red and developed an itchy mucus. One crewman decided to keep some of the ash in order to have it analysed on their arrival home. But guess where he kept it, Mark? Uh, he kept it in a pouch hung from one of his bunks in very close proximity to all of the sleeping men for the duration of their return. So he just basically hung up a bit of radium and the bedroom of the, the ship. 
Now again, that's only crazy because you have context. Like, yeah, but they were already sick. You'd think they would be like, yeah, I think we should maybe get rid of this. But I guess it was too late by then. So later analysis of the sample by, among others, Tokyo University determined that the ash was caused by a hydrogen bomb. The announcement of this news came as a large surprise to the Americans as they'd persistently kept their nuclear experimentation secret. Yeah, but you can't exactly keep it secret if fishermen are getting yeah. sick off your fuck up. By the third day, the men began to develop small blisters on their bodies that had been touched by the radioactive ash. Their faces also began to turn dark. A week into their return journey, their hair began to fall out. On March 11th, the ship encountered rough seas, causing them to dot late on March 14th. This late arrival fortunately caused the contaminated fish to stay within the ship until the next morning. Plus, they were able to throw away much of the tuna once they discovered the radiation. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be eaten the radiated tuna and yeah (laughs) i wonder if any of it actually did get out into the food system food chain it doesn't really say so after their arrival they went to the hospital where the surgeon applied a zinc ointment to their faces and then sent them home on march 15th 1954 the engineer yamamoto deckhand masuda and five others who were said to have made up the elderly members of the crew were sent to the tokyo university hospital for treatment there they tested masuda's bone marrow and found his white blood cell count at half the normal level i guess i mean it's basically the, the guys were they, <laughs> they suffered from all sorts like barnes pains and bleeding from their gums they were diagnosed with acute radiation syndrome the u.s denied all knowledge they didn't respond to any of the letters the japanese scientists requested information and help but the united states all they did was dispatch two medical sciences to japan to study the effects of fallout on the ship's crew and assist their doctors the remaining crew members were quarantined in a different hospital with all of their clothes and belongings buried on the property High levels of radiation were found in the men's hair and nails, and so the hospital was forced to cut off the rest of their hair. Fuck. That's um, horrific. Yeah, there's the, yeah because they were think the the Japanese foreign minister criticised the American government over well the fact despite the lingering resentment towards the US over the atomic bombings of Hiroshima. And, uh, Nagasaki and there was a suspicion that US officials were only interested in research other than attempting to cure any one of their subsequent bombed relating ailments. I will believe that because... I mean, yeah, that sounds very... Yeah, yeah, because they did that. I mean, the Nazis were brought over. A lot of Nazi scientists were brought over to help them get to the moon. They didn't care about their atrocities then, even though they were like, lots of their own men died fighting yeah. the Nazis. And also a lot of the Japanese imperial like army who were actually torturing Chinese people, like doing horrific things in this unit, were brought over, weren't punished, and they were they were pardoned for research purposes because they wanted to use their research on the experiments they did on the fucked up man. <laughs> Just the USA. Whenever we so talk good. about or whenever anyone talks about um mm. atrocities, I always think of when it was in Vietnam. I was about to say this was a light story, but it's not. It was horrendous when we yeah. were in vietnam me and rab mm. went to the like peace museum there that's like yeah. museum to all the atrocities that uh-huh. america carried out against vietnam and there was this random american guy there just like walking around and the whole place was silent because you're meant to be silent the entire time yeah. there. and he was just walking around going like another lie this building is full of lies like over and over that's again until the went out, which is good because i uh, rab that i was with hi rab if you're listening was like i'm gonna go 
and leather absolute fuck out of him in about seven <laughs> Like, I can't not leather him. And then people threw him out. But it, it was insane. And even when they were throwing him out, he was like, this is ridiculous. You can't throw people out for this. This whole building is full of lies. Like mm, That's what? like a video I've seen on YouTube where a guy got arrested in Greece by the, like, the Greek police. And he was on the ground and he was going, you can't do this to me. I'm going to call Nero on you. <laughs> Nero! <laughs> Yeah, okay, you're going to have an airstrike on Greece just because you got arrested for being <laughs> a drunk. That's not how it works. No. <laughs> so, what happened? so the guys that were on the ship, what happened to them, right? They were actually eventually let go and told to go home after various tests where they were in hospital for 14 months. Uh, apart from that one guy, the radiologist who died in the hospital after developing meningitis, he developed pneumonia and died. The other 22 crew members were released from hospital. They received yearly checkups to monitor the toll of the long-term radiation sickness complications. And they were mostly stigmatised because of the Japanese public's fear of those exposed to radiation um, because they thought it was contagious. The crew tried to stay quiet about their exposure for decades, beginning with their discharge from the hospital. Some crew members moved away from their homes to make a fresh start. However, unlike the Hibakusha, Hibakusha are the survivors of the atomic bombings in 1945. The Lucky Dragon Number no. 5 crew did not qualify for medical care benefits that the survivors of the atom bomb were given, which is shocking. The Americans yeah, should have given something. I don't know, but former crew member... Susumu Misaki, he opened a tofu shop after the incident, but he died of lung cancer at the age of 92. Now, I think he got the best of the bunch. I know that's fucked up saying that, but like, come on, he lived to 92. I know he died of lung cancer, but big win for him because the rest of them died in middle age, such mm-hmm. as Mayoyoshi Kawashima, who tried to earn a living making pouches. I don't know what kind of pouches. However, what kind of pouches are you talking about here? Pouches for like like pants? Yeah, I don't. That's what I'm. <laughs> that's asking. all I don't know why my brain goes there. Like a posing pouch. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Definitely not where my brain pouch. immediately went, but still, I'm, I am confused mm. by pouches. After his release from hospital, but it failed. Not surprised. Issues in his personal life led to a divorce. He returned to fishing, but died soon after, age forty-seven. It doesn't really say whether it was to do with the nuclear fallout but I suspect it probably would be if he was only 47 yeah. another crew member died age 54 after contracting various illnesses and diseases including psoriasis of the liver, sepsis, stomach ulcers and diabetes, then another one died age 55, another one 57 uh, this one's particularly horrible <laughs> crew yeah, member... this has been a pleasant story so far yeah I know we're supposed to be talking about kaijus but I mean this is the kind of thing that terrified the Jap- like the producer hearing stories like this this is what developed the Godzilla kaiju thing which represented all their fears of nuclear fallout and he's got an atomic breath which is pretty badass like he basically utilises all the atomic radiation that he's absorbed and then turns it into a heat ray that like that annihilates people. <laughs> I don't know. It's a very good weapon. This is the kind of shit. Like, it's not just monsters that you should fear. It's the actual nuclear fallout that's also to be feared as well. Like, the atomic breath can really fuck you up. But, yeah, this is horrible. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just going to tell you it anyway because I just like horrible, like, nasty things like this. <laughs> 
and I think it should I think it should be told because I don't think like I've never heard of this and I want it out there I want people listening I know maybe if we don't have a lot of listeners but I still want it out there because uh, people need to know these things yeah. I think definitely you can't forget this shit that this is what happened to real people so crew member Kanashigi Tagagi succumbed to liver cancer age 66. The news filtered through from Hoto Island in December 1989. During the phone call received from the wife of Tagagi, she mentioned that an employee at the crematorium told her that the bones of Tagagi after cremation were the most thin and fragile she'd ever seen. It was that last line that got to me. Yeah. That really gives me, like, I've got, you know, a phobia about bones and stuff. And I um, I think I'm, I'm imagining him on the ship and he's, he's scooping up loads of this fallout ash and rubbing himself with it. I don't know why, but that's what I'm thinking of. And then his bones are getting all, like, brittle as a result. Like, a lot of their bone marrow disappeared as well when you were in hospital, yeah. which is something that you can't quite ever recover from, I suppose. So yeah. so that's... The, and the ship is now... Like, they abandoned it for a long time, but now it's in a museum somewhere in Tokyo. You can actually go see this ship. I guess, I don't know if it's, it's probably safe enough. Like, you think it'd be really radiated, but maybe it's behind a special glass, I don't know, some sort of container. And you can visit it and, and it's there as a warning against, you know, like nuclear warfare, the dangers of atomic weapons. Anyway, if you've got anything to cheer us up after that story, Mark. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, sort What's of. What's your favourite character? I've done that before. I've got a little interesting wee article that I found here from a website called Tofugu. I thought we could have a fun discussion. Okay, so, I like a fun discussion. <laughs> yeah, so it, it imagines what real life Japanese creatures could there be that could end up as real life kaiju? Because, you know, like Mothra's based on a moth, blah, 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 lizards and stuff like that. I'm Have really enjoying ever- how uh, our brains yeah. keep going the same way, but slightly different because the thing what? that I did to go back <laughs> to you is um, look Looking at three Shinto creatures that I think would be good kaiju. All right, well, you tell me what your three Shinto Let's do one at a time. Are. You do an animal and then I'll okay. do an creature. We can come up with a, like, okay. something versus something, our own yeah. line of uh, kaiju films. Okay, well, have you seen the Japanese spider crab? Ooh, is that the... I think I have. They are massive. Google they look like kaijus. I could definitely see that being a massive kaiju. I mean, they look huge. I think I seen I seen one in um in Scotland in the in Queen's Ferry, Deep Sea World. Ooh. I'm sure they had them there in a in a big tank, and they're absolutely horrific looking. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. And there is an actual there is a kaiju sort of similar that's called Ibira, uh, but that's based on a lobster. <laughs> yeah. a picture of it fighting a goofy looking Godzilla. Anyway, the Japanese spider crabs, they have the longest leg span of any living amphipod, and some species reach, reach up to 3.8 metres. That's 12 feet, Mark, 12 feet of terrifying spider legs. That is quite a lot of leg. Yeah. They're most common on the southern coast of Honshu at shallows of 160 feet all the way down to 2,000 feet or more. They prefer trenches or dark crevices, what crabs usually do. They typically scavenge the ocean floors for plants, algae, shellfish, or animal carcasses. So I could definitely imagine one of them massive form towering over like a beach you resort. Take out or a kaiju name so we can do a versus and pick who's fighting. Um, we'll call it Crabiu. Crabiu versus. Are we assuming Crabiu is a evil or a force for good? 
Um, I'm gonna go with a force for good. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, a uh, crabby versus COVID-19 because. <laughs> But the evil uh, scientist that I made up for COVID-19. So there's this idea in Shintoism, which again, I think you've probably have heard of and not realised that it comes from Shintoism, of the Oni. I think I might have heard of Oni, but I'm so, not sure what it is. Oni are like massive, again, bigger than an elephant, um, although in this case bigger than a building so that it works. Vicious, multi-armed. They're normally either like red, like primary colour red, or blue, like primary colour blue. Uh, they're horned and they kind of look like ogre demony. Like they're big and buff and have scary faces and massive horns. Oh, I have seen them. There's a big like festival somewhere in North Japan and they've got huge big paper mache floors. Yes. Yeah, with swords and things. And they're, yeah, I know what you mean. They're massive. So when I was looking into them, <laughs> what it turns out is that they are, rather than being the embodiment of x y or z they're the embodiment of the evil of the person who's died so if somebody's evil enough when they die Mm -hmm. they basically their psyche embodies them and how malicious they were and it becomes an oni so as an oni i was thinking like the evil scientist that's made covid all the covid so he gets like covid 19 and then we managed to stop him and then he's like ah, ha, ha. well we think you killed him he actually turns into a gigantic oni and we have right. to send crabo to fight him yeah crabo gets these giant crab legs and sort of scoops them up scoops them into its mouth and chews them all up to eat the covid19 covid although to be fair are they going to be covid20 so covid20 oh, yeah. scientist uh, would have to be a primary blue oni so that they have like opposing colors covid20 and long covid <laughs> <laughs> that could be the end like after Krabu's defeated them <laughs> and everybody rejoices and then yeah long Covid well, can be in the background going but I have not even begun my reign of terror <laughs> <laughs> well here's an interesting one right technically it is the largest living animal in the world and the heaviest creature it's the blue whale okay don't need to google that one <laughs> no and it is basically the equivalent of a kaiju because it's the biggest creature that we have on earth so it's our only kaiju although they are quite like elusive and i don't think they're very vicious they probably could do a lot of damage if they were able to somehow come out of the ocean and stand on their tail (laughs) flip about like a dolphin or something like imagine if a blue whale jumped out the ocean and slammed into a yacht or something that would just decimate it. it definitely would whereas orcas are starting to do that orcas are starting to gang up on shit and some people thought they were doing it for a laugh which <laughs> i guess they are but now they're thinking they're deliberately killing ships not for a laugh but out of revenge i for mean another. they're falling yeah. comrades <laughs> So they are half of they're half of Godzilla, so they're half the size of Godzilla, and they are uh, the inspiration for many Bakujira monster whale myths in Japan. So in waters near Japan, whaling has decreased their population, so they could get their own back. Like they could maybe grow big, and it would be like the blue whale versus the Japanese fishing fleet, <laughs> and maybe Mothra could come and help her out. Well. I've got someone that could uh, help the whale. So this one's not a versus then. Okay. It's, uh, what 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 are we what are we giving the whale kaiju as a name? Big blue. Big bluey. Big bluey and Basan. Okay. Who's Basan? So Basan is another Shinto deity. Uh, she <laughs> is a giant cold fire. 
So she like breathes fire, but it's ice cold rather than oh, burning right. hot. Spitting chicken. Spitting chicken. Yep. Mm, so she's a giant name. chicken with blue and green feathers. Oh, so it's not cooked chicken. I was imagining it like spitting out <laughs> fried chicken. That's why no, I was no, like, I'm opening my mouth and it can spit it directly in. <laughs> but All she's right. the perfect um, deity to help uh, Big Bluey with this mission because, well, she lives in the uh, bamboo groves, which has nothing to do with why she's useful. But why she's useful is because even though she's massive, if a human looks at her, she immediately becomes invisible. Right, but how's that going to help Big Bluey out? Because Big Bluey, right, start of the film, Big Bluey speaks to Basan, right, and they're, they're yeah. on the same wavelength, but Basan <laughs> is like, I will not help you to destroy them. And again, dubbed. And then Big Bluey is like, but Basan, they are destroying our home. And then <laughs> at the end, we think that the Japanese military have the, the one up yep. on Big Bluey. He's getting destroyed, <laughs> but they don't realise because they can't see her that's swooping above them as Basan and she starts spitting her cold fire on them until they all freeze burn to death. Excellent. <laughs> and then they all say sorry and go home. Yes, and then everyone apologises. Okay, right. So the final one, I'm going to go with... Do, do an evil one this time. because An evil good... one? Okay. Yeah. The Japanese giant salamander. And the kaiju equivalent would be... Again, there's another Japanese giant salamander. There is an actual Japanese giant salamander kaiju called Shanshu Kaijin. And their kaiju version, version is really just themselves. <laughs> So they just um, have exaggerated powers like the long sticky tongue and flame breath this time. Yeah. But they weren't that far off when it comes to size. So the Japanese giant salamander is one of the true natural wonders of Japan's rivers and streams. I keep going for aquatic ones. These suckers can grow to sizes of around five feet in length. Five feet and That's weigh up to 60 pounds. I didn't think salamanders could grow that big. No, considering the, that uh, yeah. I have a pet salamander and you could... You've got a pet one? Well, the meth child has a pet salamander. What's it called? Uh, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda? <laughs> not Grogu, not Yoda. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Okay, wow. Uh, does it live in... It's amphibious, isn't it? Salamander. It is amphibious. Yeah, these things are amphibious. It does look a bit like one of these guys, but its napper's not so massive in comparison <laughs> to the body. And it's not five foot tall. It's about, I don't know, five oh, inches. Well, it would be, well, the Japanese uh, salamander would be its kaiju then. So they are so large that they were once fished as a food source by the local people. Now they're protected by law. But it is weird to think of using a salamander as a primary food source when most species would barely qualify as a snack. Yeah. Japanese giant salamander remains amphibious for its entire lifespan. When these monsters reach adulthood and lose their gills, they are large enough to simply pop their heads above water whenever they want the air. They're carnivorous and nocturnal, so they hide under rocks during the day and night and will lumber around streams waiting to suck prey into their mouths. Their eyes are small and underdeveloped and they find their prey by using tiny hairs on their body to sense ripples and vibrations in the water. So they do have quite cool superpowers. When they catch their meal, they don't even need to chew since they feed underwater. They don't produce saliva. They do, however, secrete a strong musk as a defence mechanism, which has a reputation for smelling like the Japanese pepper plant, plus their Japanese common name, uh, Osanshu, or giant pepper fish. Mm-hmm. Considering their strange life cycle and features, it's no wonder they were originally thought of as a fish. They even swim upstream to spawn and males fertilise eggs externally in huge clutches. 
Just like fish, Japanese giant salamanders are a national treasure and have inspired art and folklore since they were first discovered. There's even speculation that myths about kappas originated out of fear of these watery critters. I always thought kappas were turtles or something. But anyway, yeah, so there we go. The giant Japanese salamander. I feel like this is a a good matchup this time. It's an evil one. What are we going to call the evil giant Japanese? What's his his name again? Um, He's called... Saluma Sticky Fingers. Saluma Sticky Fingers. Yeah, that's his Versus, name. Versus uh, Wara, no, Waru, sorry. <laughs> Which is not Wario. Uh, so, Waru, Waru is a huge bull like scythe clawed toad. Scythe clawed? What's that mean? Yeah, so it's got uh, like raptor claws. Oh, okay. There's a male one, which is brown, and a female one, which is dark red. They live in the forests rather than the rivers, which is not very toad-like, but it means but there's a, a water so forest right there. So Fingers is amphibious, so he could take him on in the forest if he wants, or in the water. Well, Either they're way. protectors of the forest, so he could like be cutting about trying to destroy the forest, and that's why Waru comes to get him. Uh, they, again, much like the one earlier, they don't bring any harm to humans, only if a human is trying to destroy the forest. They feed entirely on rodents. Their favourite snack is moles, but if there is a wicked or evil individual, they will frighten them away or even fight them. Well, uh, Sally McSticky Fingers is, um, he's a big friend of the mole, so he takes great exception <laughs> to them being there. Yes, that's why he's going in the forest to fuck him up, because he's getting revenge of his mole friends. I've now imagined it very dramatic, like... Yeah, the moles are like... Is like, how dare you burn my forest? And then... Um, how dare you Sticky Fingers mole. is like... I burned your forest because I know it was you who killed Stephanie. <laughs> and then they fight. <laughs> Stephanie, of course, being the name of his mole friend. <laughs> that would be a grand film. <laughs> I just sent you a picture of um, the kaiju version of the salamander. That's not a real salamander. That's a kaiju version, I have to say. I'll post oh, it on our um, Facebook pages if you care to look, listeners. All right, well, I don't know. What else <laughs> can we say about kaijus? I really want to go watch um i really want to watch uh, godzilla minus one the most recent japanese version of godzilla because uh, i think he's a baddie in it again i'm not sure whether he is neutral or baddie but i don't think he's like a force for good in it anyhow he'll just be being clumsy again you know what he's like yeah he just stumbled into tokyo by mistake <laughs> well i want to watch um crabby versus covid 20 yeah god mark we knew you should like set up our own film production company and just set up like a kickstarter or something and make our own mad films that that is a brilliant idea oh i was thinking of like a, a different version of oh yeah that's what i was watching sleep like this has nothing to do with kaijus but unless you imagine like well, i suppose maybe a link to new york with like king kong but whatever it was sleepless in seattle so I was watching that the other day. <laughs> no one expected that sentence to go. So David and I were watching Sleepless in Seattle and I was going, I, if I was making this movie, I would, then David suggested, like, he said, Tom Hanks is actually a psychopath, right? And he's got schizophrenia and his little boy doesn't exist. So he's having all these women write to him and stuff. <laughs> And he killed his first wife because he's like mental and uh, she cheated on him or something. So that's why he's going on a dating show to lure other women to write in. And his child doesn't exist. He just um, pretended to be his own kid by like going on the radio to lure these women to write to him. And then when he gets to the Empire State Building and <laughs> what's her name? 
uh, Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. She goes up there and he just um, throws her off the side of the building. And then that's the end of the film. I know it's like his first wife's buried underneath the um his like houseboat. That would be my version of Sleepless in Seattle. I love it, especially <laughs> the bit we of the Empire State Building. Yeah. I just love to see a movie where that kind of thing happens and not like a, like a sort of rom-com thing. A horror version of the rom-com. Um, yeah, I'm now imagining it where like they have their first meeting and he just... Mm-hmm shocks it off and then that's it it cuts to black and it's like starring tom hanks meg ryan <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and that's it's tom hanks. it still stars tom hanks like who's like the nicest man in america but he's like a schizophrenic psychopath <laughs> who just kills women and throws them off the empire state building every time with his imaginary child who doesn't exist either so yeah i guess that's how we end that podcast up on kaiju's <laughs> It is the way that anyone should end the podcast in Kaiju's, but yeah. everyone's imagine Meg Ryan being thrown off the building. I wouldn't even change the title because Sleepless in Seattle just sounds sinister enough as it is it anyway. Yeah. Maybe that's why he's like schizo as well because he can't get any sleep. I did for a minute think you meant that we should change the title of this episode to Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> we should. <laughs> <laughs> and then people are like, but it's Kaiju's. <laughs> <laughs> Might do that. Well, well, we spoiled the surprise now by mentioning it. Anyway. Not really. It won't be revealed until this point if people are listening to it. So. It's true if they're still listening at this point. We might get new listeners that are just massive sleepless in Seattle fans and would reach this point. <laughs> yes. We should do that with all our episodes. Just name it after a random rom-com. <laughs> I bet if we had an episode called uh, The Notebook, we'd get way more oh, yeah. listeners. <laughs> we should try to get more listeners and lure them in. You know how, like, nowadays, like, you get trailers that really bugs me where they're advertising a movie, but, at, like, Mean Girls, this is a recent one, and the Wonka film, where you're watching a trailer and you think, oh, that looks like, that looks good. Then you go to the cinema and then it's revealed that it's actually a musical, but at no point in the trailer does it tell you it's a musical. I didn't know that was the case with the new Wonka film. Yeah, well, I obviously it's a musical. I'm not surprised Wonka's a musical, but that Hollywood want to hide the fact that it's a musical. I'm not surprised Wonka's a musical, except for the fact that you so just pointed like, out that people... I didn't know it was a musical because the trailer in no way implies it's a musical. Yeah, but Willy Wonka and the shot, like Gene Wilder was a musical. No, like it makes sense for it to be a musical, but yeah, I wouldn't have thought that from the trailer at all. That it was a musical? Yeah. Have you seen the Mean Girls trailer, the new one? I think I have. At no point does it indicate that that's also a musical. It's based on no, a musical version of Mean Girls. Yeah, because this is what they're doing to people now. It's like if they advertised The Great Showman, um, but in, in no way was it implied to be a musical <laughs> when it's just all songs. Yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> It's like you're tricking your. It's like you're tricking people who go to the cinema to see a film, think, thinking it's one thing and then it's not. I just don't understand the marketing behind that. Like I don't want to be lied to. I mean, I wouldn't walk out the film if it was a musical. No, I wouldn't walk out either. But I, even soon, <laughs> that I've been tricked. I mean, I like musicals and it makes sense for those things to be musicals. But I would but still. Your feel dad, like on the tricked. other hand, might not like. <laughs> no, he would uh, set the cinema on fire. He would start breathing ice fire. <laughs> he would. He would start getting his atomic breath going. <laughs> I would recommend watching the original God G- uh, Godzilla film or Godzilla because as uh, much as people think that these old kaiju movies are really kind of shit looking 
a man in a suit stomping across a model city. The original movie is really genuinely brilliant. Um, and it's so much better than the 1998 Godzilla with Matthew fucking Broderick. It did have a good soundtrack, though. I know, I was going to say, like, the only good thing out that came out of that film was the P. Diddy song with um, Led Zeppelin's Cashmere. Yeah, that's an excellent song. Yeah, that was that was good. I saw that film in a cinema in Butlins. That's how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> no way did that influence my thinking, but I think it probably did as well. Didn't help matters. I mean, I should imagine everything's worse when you're at Butlins. Yeah, especially <laughs> Butlins in Wales. It's the most depressing place ever. Why were my parents so mean? <laughs> what are we going to talk about next week, Mark? Uh, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Pick a uh, number. Pick a number. I'm going to pick number guy do help me number 14 uh number 14 is lighthouses lighthouses <laughs> lighthouses i actually am a member of a really boring facebook group called scottish lighthouses and i only joined it out of like kindness for friends i suppose i'm not interested well, in lighthouses but now that will serve a purpose for you I did have once have a paddling pool with a character called Lighthouse Bill in it. Okay. I put my naked ass in his face. Yeah. But I don't actually remember watching any animated series called um, Lighthouse Bill. I don't know if it was an animation or if it was one of those, you know, kind of stop motion puppet things like Berfa, those ones. I've never heard of it. Oh, what, did we do lighthouses because of the story of the two lighthouse keepers that suddenly disappeared? No. And they were never found. Story. I thought we thought I thought we spoke about that in a previous episode. That must be why it's on the list. Well, maybe we did. Well, I can't even remember our own content. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm off to go and find uh, Big Bluey. What are you gonna What's, do? Uh, I'm trying to I, I went to Google the what? name of the is it Lighthouse Bill? Yeah. What is he a picture of him? I'm done on Googling him. I think I know what he looks like because I remember the paddling pool. That's just bringing up uh, pictures of an actual lighthouse called Bill. Are you saying that I made it up? It's all a figment of my imagination. I mean, I'm scrolling quite far down and I'm not coming across any images of any of you guys. Kids show. I'll just put kids show then. That's a better idea, yeah, to be fair. Oh, I got that wrong. It's Portland Bill. No wonder I got this Adventures of Portland Bill. Portland Bill. So, yeah, yeah, there he is. He looks like a pedophile. He, <laughs> and this sounds insane because a real person wouldn't look like that, but I've got the picture of him and his dog, and it's got a kind of a weird uncanny valley, like, unnervingness yeah. about it. Yeah, because he's not a cartoon person. He's one of these sort of, you know, like Fireman Sam. Or, yeah, it's like the era. It's like, like you'd pack. be at a party and people would be like, oh, have you met my uncle? Or someone would be like, have you met my uncle Bill? And introduce you to him and then no one else would be acting weird and you'd be like, everybody <laughs> this isn't a man. <laughs> like, what's happening? What is he? And he only travels on a red robot called the Puffin, but everywhere, not just on the sea. <laughs> well, we've established yeah. that... Uh, Portland Bell at the very least is a terrifying myth so I'm sure we can find more stuff about lighthouses well, I'll try not to do the one we've already done might talk about Portland Bell next week yeah about how he's like a myth in my childhood talks my dream he doesn't he's never appeared in my dreams ever that's good yeah but he might now okay holy water on your brain so listeners I hope you dream about Portland Bell tonight bye, bye.